Hello, this is Pauline Jennings. Welcome to Musician Talk. I am honored to have as my guest today Dr. Timothy Marr, professor of music and conductor of the award-winning St. Olaf Band. He holds a Bachelor of Music degree in composition and a Bachelor of Arts degree in music education from St. Olaf College and a master's degree in trombone performance and a doctorate of musical arts in instrumental conducting from the University of (laughs) Iowa. Dr. Marr is an award-winning and internationally acclaimed composer. Recent composition commissions have come from the U.S. Air Force Band, the Music Educators National Conference, and the American Band Masters Association. Mm, It's time to hear more about this very accomplished musician. It's time to talk with Dr. Timothy Marr. Welcome, Tim, to the show. I'm so happy to have you on. Oh, thank you so much. Um, I, I think we've tried to do this a couple times, and it hasn't worked with schedules, and so, yes, you're finally here, and it is an honor indeed. So I just want to dig right in to um, your musical journey. You're a trombone player. Did you start with the trombone? How did you start playing music or listening oh. to music? What's the genesis Yeah, of I started with piano. My mother, Janine, was a piano teacher, and she had a small studio of kids coming to the house and things like this, and uh, she got me started on piano, and she was smart enough to, you know, put me off to another teacher after a certain point in time because it's hard to get your own kid to do anything. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and so I started with piano, and then my Uncle Bob had a trombone, a stinky old trombone in an <laughs> old case, and I ended up getting it when I was in fourth grade. So I started that like a year earlier than most students start on the instrument and uh, uh, enjoyed the challenge of uh, that. Yeah, as I think back, uh, when I was in uh, the elementary school, I was already working at the junior high a little bit. When I was in the junior high, I was already working at the high school a little bit. And when I was in high school, they had me going over to the UW-La Crosse. This is in La Crosse, Wisconsin. So I always had this chance to be surrounded by people who were better than me, Mm. and that helped to push me along. Oh, isn't that the truth? I mean, Yeah. it's like hitting a tennis ball. If you hit a, if you if, if you have a return to you that's hard, you can hit it hard back. If it's just exactly. a little thing, you can't, right? Yep. That's really cool. So what what drew you to the trombone? I mean, you had it there, but what made you keep going with it and go, I like this. I'm going to keep playing. Oh, I, it. I, I found that the sound was expressive. I could have a good oh, nice. time, uh, you know, playing something beautiful and lyrical as an eighth grade trombone player might be able to do. But also uh, the fun of being in a jazz band in particular was a a strong motivating device. And that led me to uh, playing uh, baritone bugle in the Blue Stars Drum and Bugle Corps, which was, uh, uh, I marched the last VFW National Championship in 1971 and the first Drum Corps International DCI in 1972. This was when I was in ninth and 10th grade. And that's where I really learned a lot about uh, uh, being focused and driven when you're in rehearsal. The practice sessions were severe. Wow. In what way? Uh, uh, we were nationally ranked. We almost won the national championship in 1972. We had the top brass line. I was the solo baritone in the top brass line. Wow, you that know? is so, really so cool. That, that, yeah, it was just sort of a, a fun aspect of growing up as a musician, uh, but also socially. All my best friends were in the, the core. And we traveled the country 
You know, it was a, a fantastic experience all in all. So did you realize at a pretty young age that you had a gift? Yeah, I don't know if I, if I recognized it as a gift or anything. Mm -hmm. I, I had a penchant, you all know, right. or a desire, and I enjoyed doing it. Um, the compositions started in about eighth grade or so when I would try to write piano music to impress young women had a, <laughs> that I had an interest in. <laughs> And that really was never very successful. It did work. Yeah. But uh, there, were, there were all these great horn bands back then, Blood, Sweat, and Tears, <clears throat> Chicago, oh, yes. you know, and, and that just uh, uh, infused uh, my love of the instrument. Uh, I arranged those pieces for the high school jazz band. You'd get the old 45 and you'd put the needle down and listen for a while and then you go and lift the needle off and, and, and hop to the piano and try to figure out what that was. It was fantastic ear training. No kidding. Every once in a while you can find a piano sketch score for popular music that's out on the radio and I was able to get a couple of those. But that that was uh, the, the, the first moments I had of uh, uh, arranging music and setting music and hearing people take the notation from the page and making it come alive. I, I was writing brass uh, quartets for my buddies in church, and we would play preludes and things like this. And uh, then uh, these uh, arrangements for the high school jazz band. And, and it was after a while, it was like, you know, I think I can probably write my own stuff. Wow. And that's, that's when I, I sort of turned the corner and started to create my own music. So very, very young, you started, I mean, I think probably compared to others who start doing this, um, you, you were getting that ear training, which is absolutely, I mean, that's huge mm -hmm. to have that at such a young age, to be able to listen to something and transcribe it and know what your, it, it helps with your intervals, it helps, with, I mean, it just helps with everything. It does. I wish I would have worked on it even harder than I did, because my my ability to sing, my band members will attest to this, <laughs> I don't really sing all that well, um, but I can hear it better than I can sing it. Well, the, uh, probably two different kind of, uh, yeah, yeah uh, attributes there. So, uh, when uh, so you've played through high school and you had all these great experiences and were and and you were surrounded by these musicians that lifted you up, mm -hmm. which is awesome. So what happened from there, like with college? Uh, what kind of experiences well, did you? Well, you have? know the other the other experiences that lifted me up would be uh, sort of unfortunate ones that happened to my high school band director. One year his wife passed away. The other year he had a heart attack. Oh my. And this was my junior and senior year. And they just sort of looked around in the band room and said, who wants to get on the box and, and take the band? Oh. The choir director would come in and sit in the back and sort of keep the discipline. And I had this chance to conduct uh, the band, the concert group. And that was life-changing. I thought I was going to be a chemistry major. I, I was pretty well set. I've had great interest in all of that. And then uh, I got bit by this uh, conducting bug. That's amazing. And, that, and, and during that senior year, I, I hopped onto a trip to St. Olaf College that a couple of my friends were taking as a campus visit. I hadn't really heard of St. Olaf College. I, this mm -hmm. is uh, lacrosse is only two hours away, and I didn't really know anything about St. Olaf. And I went along just to you know get out of school for the day, that kind of thing. <laughs> and uh, uh, it was a, a very fortunate. Uh, experience because they were getting ready for the big uh, centennial celebration up on the hill 
it was in 1974, you know, the college founded in 1874. And so I was, oh, right. I, was I had a chance to hear all the groups do something uh, rather remarkable. And uh, it was convincing. This is the place that I should go. I had applied to Northwestern University and Indiana University. I already knew I was going to go into music. And uh, uh, Northwestern didn't accept me, but they invited me back to teach there later on after they figured out I knew what I was doing. <laughs> and, you showed them. Well, <laughs> sort of. Yeah. And uh, the, uh, Indiana accepted me, but uh, so did St. Olaf then. And this seemed to be the place for me. What comes to mind, the word that comes to mind is serendipity. It just seems mm-hmm. like these things were placed in front of you at the right time. You saw them. Your eyes were open enough to be able to accept them, and that is really exactly. unique. And th- that itself is a gift, right, to have those things happen yeah, in your life. Very fortunate. That's great. So what happened in St. Olaf? What did you start to do with bands there? Well, I, I, I uh, managed to get over the disappointment I had after auditioning in my first semester there and not making the St. Olaf Band. I was in the Norseman Band, and uh, I thought, well, I failed. I didn't get in the top group. Are there many freshmen in the St. Olaf Band? Uh, yeah, there's typically 15 to 20 or so. Okay. And uh, it couldn't have worked out better for me. We talked about serendipity. I ended up being the principal trombone of the second group i got to conduct them and played solos and and you know had leadership responsibility whereas if i would have been in the saint olaf band i would have been you know like fifth chair trombone and sort of not really heard (laughs) or or (laughs) had any special opportunity and so it was a a strong growth year for me and then i auditioned and got in for my sophomore year and so what were you going there? What degree were you pursuing at the time? I was uh, uh, music education. I uh-huh. figured I was going to be a band director. And as as uh, the uh, uh, courses started to fall into place, I realized I could also do a theory composition degree if I really hustled. And so I got that at the end of my junior year, and then I got the uh, uh, education degree in my senior year. I got to believe that you, you said that for a while you thought maybe you'd get a degree in chemistry and that the kind of mind that you had that that was able to grasp that kind of science and the math mm-hmm. that goes along with that really must have helped with the theory and the composition yeah yeah i i, I there's a strong correlation yeah right Pro- now i'm writing a piece and it's called do the math <laughs> there you and, have it and, and it's all about mathematical structures uh in uh the creating uh harmonic sets and so on i'm coming off of my uh spring sabbatical where i was very fortunate just to have time to uh, write with a clearer mind. You know, it wasn't yeah. uh, bogged down with all the busyness of the usual routine. And this is where my brain started going. And uh, I'm, exci- I'm really excited about this piece. I'm writing it for uh, uh, Santa Clara, California. Their county band director association has an honor band. I wrote a piece for them about 14 years ago or so, and they asked me to write another one and come back and conduct and uh, this is this is a, a a plea from me to all these students to do the math, take a look at what's going on in the world around you right now, mm. and figure out what you can do to make this a better place. It doesn't have to be this way. 
we can make this a better place. I love that. I love both sentiments of we could do something about this, but also math. You're speaking to my heart. I think you can explain everything with math, really, when you get down to the Mm -hmm. basics. Mm -hmm. Everything you hear, everything you see, every pattern, every, and music is is all math. I mean, Mm -hmm. music is math, and I love that. I love how analytical you can be, but yet how much beauty there is there. Mm Awesome. Let's, um, we need to move on here. I could talk about this stuff forever, but I want to talk a little bit about your composing. Sure. And in particular, what I don't understand how you can compose something for a big group like that. So my experience is you write a song, you bring it to a band, the, you know, like a, a combo, mm-hmm. and uh, you have the melody line and probably the chord structure, but the, but the drummer may, makes up their own parts. The, the, if yeah. you have horns, they, maybe that stuff's written out, but certainly the guitar player makes up their own parts, etc. But when you make a piece for a concert band, you're writing everything, and how do you do it? Well, <laughs> how do you keep it all straight in your when, head? When people ask, what, what is it like to be a composer, I give them a, a pretty terse answer. It's make decisions, period. Uh. Act, period. You know, it, it, uh, you start with a blank slate, yeah. literally. I mean, Mahler would say that his symphonies are worlds unto themselves. Wow. And, and, you know, you... you, you begin listening to like the first symphony of Mahler and you realize that by the time you get to the end of it you've been transported to another place for about an hour yes and so it can be very daunting to look at a blank score page and think well what am I what am I gonna add to the repertoire and how do you create a whole world yeah yeah you know but uh it's it's uh uh, a pretty interesting process. Sometimes the commissions come through and there's a very specific reason for a piece to be created. It's in memory of someone that's celebrating the opening of a, a new hall or something like this. And uh, those are fun commissions. The best commissions are the ones that say, we just want your next next piece. Nice. Yeah, yeah and, and they give you the, freedom. This, this freedom. Yeah. And I, I typically need to uh, start with a lot of thinking about, well, why should this piece exist? What is it hopeful of saying? And then uh, uh, eventually a structure it starts to be illuminated as to how this might fall together. I'm, unlike many of uh, my colleagues, I don't start in measure one and start writing the piece straight ahead from that point. I improvise at the piano, I record those improvisations, and I listen back to them. I do more ear training on the stuff that really worked well, uh, wow. and, and I, I start to gather all sorts of uh, uh, motives and ideas and harmonic progressions and rhythmic patterns and whatnot. And then eventually, uh, it uh, uh, sort of becomes a, a, a puzzle, and I'm moving the pieces around until I, I get a sense of what the flow of the 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 structure might be and what it might be able to say hardly ever do i start with the the very first sound of a piece uh-huh. initially i i usually have to figure out what it is i'm <clears throat> saying with the full thrust of the work and then i'll figure out how to start it how how can i get the listener ready for what i'm really trying to say as the piece unfolds a little bit more that sounds like a kind of existential way to write music a little bit and also very holistic not linear Right? It's a feeling, and then, uh, yeah, just kind of wrap your head around this idea and then get it down on paper. Yeah, it's, it's note you after know, note. The, the software program uh, that I use, Finale software, mm-hmm. uh, they used to have a counter on it, typical, uh, 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 the same as a word counter, 
on a, a word program, you know, how many words are in my article that I'm writing or right. something like that. And in a, in a five-minute piece for a, a good high school band, little overture or something like that, there's typically twenty to 30,000 markings <laughs> on a score page. Oh and it, it, it counts all the articulation marks, all the notes, all, all every, everything that is black imprinted on the page gets counted. Wow. And so those are all decisions. Yes, you like know? you said, decision period. Yeah. And, and then you have to pull out all of the parts I mean, that's the score. That's the piece of paper where you see every instrument and what they're all playing. Then you have to pull out flute two or tenor saxophone or trombone three, you know. And luckily, the uh, the computer does this really well now. I have a big stack, probably two feet tall of, of manuscripts that I wrote before the mid-'90s when the computer software finally kicked in. All of those are in pencil. All of those yes. are in my own hand. And it's a stack time. like that. And so, you know, you look back on your life's work and sometimes you you sort of shake your head and wonder, how in the world did that ever happen? Exactly. You know? Uh, yeah. And so it, it's, 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 it's not rocket science. I, you know, it, there are things that are a lot more involved than this, but uh, it, it takes a, uh, some training. It, you talk to most of the people who are at my age, and they finally they say, "Well, I'm finally getting it sort of figured out." <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Maybe next year I'll figure yeah. this out. You know, I I think to somebody like me who cannot do this or could even, even I couldn't even approach doing it. It is rocket science because it seems to me so complicated mm -hmm. in my mind. So uh, that's amazing, absolutely amazing. And so this new, first piece that we're going to listen to is called "Sweet for Band." And uh, I was wondering, how long did this this piece take? You have different movements have, that yeah. have different, very few Yeah, this was a, a, a commission from Mason City, Iowa. They were putting up a new auditorium, and it was going to be a, a, a community space as well. O.J. Thompson from the Board of Regents at St. Olaf, Thompson Hall up mm -hmm. on campus, is named after him. Okay. Uh, he's uh, uh, the one of the bankers in town, and he got behind and, and put the funding up for the commission. Nice. And uh, it ended up being a three-movement suite. The first one is called Leaning Forward, and that's about this, this can-do attitude that everybody had down there to make this new auditorium happen. Uh, the middle movement is lifting spirits and or, or, uh, looking back, and then the last movement is lifting spirits. And I tried to uh, write a piece of music that would uh, uh, help them celebrate this event in their community. That's, that's really great. We're going to listen to the first movement, which is leaning forward. And I have to say, well, I was watching this on, um, on YouTube, and I, I've seen you directed in person. Uh, but it just reminded me, and there's not a lot of you on the on the clip, but I love watching you conduct as well. Oh. You're so expressive with your body, particularly your head, particularly your head, and it's so that's really fun to see too. <laughs> if, coming from an actress, well, you know, yeah, all you, that body you need and to be. expression. It's, it's, it's uh, body language. Yes, you're, you're telling them what they need to mm -hmm. be feeling themselves. So, okay, <clears throat> let's listen to the first movement movement of Sweet for Band, composed by my guest today, Dr. Timothy Marr. This recording is of the 2015 St. Olaf Band performing the piece and conducted by T Timothy Marr.
This is Pauline Jennings, and you're listening to Musician Talk. You just heard Leaning Forward, the first movement of Suite for Band, conducted and composed by my guest today, Dr. Timothy Marr. This is a recording of the 2015 St. Olaf Band. I love that. And leaning forward, we were just talking when we were listening to the song, and that's what it does. It leans forward. And my comment was, you can't, do, you can't lean forward by staying ahead of the beat because then all of a sudden it gets away from you. It has to all be feel. Yes, that, exactly. Yeah, heading forward. And uh, another uh, dramatic is very dramatic. And there's that part where there's the low brass, but the, then you have bells and some high instrument. I'm not sure if it's the flute or what, but the juxtaposition of that is just delightful. Um, sweeping. You. And exciting, yeah, I love Thank it. You. And and <clears throat> I encourage you guys to go and listen to the full thing because the next movement is very sweet and tender, and um, then ends with a bang. So it's a wonderful, wonderful piece. Thank you for that. So uh, I have this quote section of of the interview that I like mm-hmm. to pull, pull these quotes out to get us thinking about things that maybe I might not think to ask about. Um, I have two day, two today, and the first one is from Michael Tilson Thomas, who's the conductor laureate, amongst other things, of London Symphony Orchestra. And he says, being a conductor is kind of a hybrid profession because most fundamentally it is being someone who is a coach, a trainer, an editor, and a director. And I'm wondering how that speaks to you and how you mix those things. Oh, I, th- I think he got cut off before he got to the end of his sentence because there's a lot more going on than that even. Uh, we talk about this with the people who are uh, learning how to be teachers, how to be band directors and uh, conductors, that uh, uh, the, the amount of time when you're actually making music by moving your hands through the air is a small portion of your day typically. And the rest of the day is all of the business of teaching, uh, ordering music, getting it out into the folders, uh, writing press releases, getting your posters ready, making sure the auditorium (sighs) is booked, you know, lining up all the help that you need, moving equipment around. It's, it's, it's a, a a juggling act. And, uh, uh, somewhere in the middle of that, uh, you're supposed to find a, a calm, uh, inner place where you can be on a podium and be, be the music because nice. that's what you have to do in that moment. Uh, definitely, you know, Tilson Thomas talks about uh, coaching and, and teaching. That's, that's our primary job. You know, I, 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 I always view myself more as a teacher than a, a conductor. Uh, uh, it's a little bit different when you might be working with professional adults uh, in a, a, a civic ensemble of some sort. But uh, even then you're teaching. Right, because uh, most most of the times those those people are still learning how to be better, you right. know? and it's your job to help them with that. But with the younger students, uh, I'm I'm much more concerned that they're learning the larger uh, lessons of life of how to get along with each other, mm-hmm. how to respect each other, how to set reasonable goals and attain them. You know, the 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 true things that they really need to learn in order to be successful in their lives we can get at that through music rather easily because it's just a really engaging fun rewarding activity when compared to other classes on campus in math science whatever there is such a collaborative and cooperative need in with music and Mm -hmm. so that is 
just as uh, teaches you about life, those kind of life lessons. Yeah, and you know, we're 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 lucky. Uh, uh, coaches, uh, theater directors, and so on. We get to work with students through the entire four-year cycle of high school or college. Yes. Uh, we don't have them popping into a, a bio class for a semester, and then we don't see them again. You know, we we establish a, a very different um, connection with the student. Uh, I, I really appreciate the fact that when the students come to St. Olaf College, they're three months older than a high school senior. And right. what have they been doing that summer? You know, <laughs> you know so, so you're getting them at that point. And then at the end of four years where you've, you've been able to make music with them, in my case, while you're teaching them for four years, now they're 22-year-old adults and they've got a, a career focus and they've just matured. And this has been the age group that I've, found resonates with me the strongest as a teacher i I really enjoyed that transition for uh, a person yeah 18 to 22 that's got to be so rewarding to see that happen Mm -hmm. particularly when you're with them all four years and you have that trust built up um and that's another thing that you could really learn in music and in theater i think in art in general you have to take risks public risks uh, out loud risks that everybody's there to witness. So you have to have that trust. Out loud risks. I like that. (laughs) And so you have to have that trust amongst your fellow uh, students and players and with your teacher, certainly, and your Mm -hmm. professor. So uh, that's a great, great place to learn some of those life lessons. Um, Do you feel that throughout your career as a professor, your emphasis and focus has changed? I mean, what have you learned, I guess, about being a better teacher? Oh, what a fun thing to think about. <laughs> I've, I've learned that I need to uh, back off and let them discover more. Mm. When, when I first started teaching, I, I think I was uh, under the uh, uh, advice maybe that I got in the wrong way. I don't know how I started thinking about this, but it, it was like I'm, I'm the one who's supposed to tell them everything that they're supposed to know. Sure, you know, I'm, why I'm not? I'm the teacher. Right. And uh, that has shifted over time, that I'm, I'm there to facilitate and to motivate them to go on self-discovery missions and things along these lines. That sounds to me kind of like parenting, and the difference between parenting and grandparenting. Mm-hmm. I'm not a grandparent, but I've witnessed it, and how much more laid back and how much more space you give a child when you're a grandparent, than particularly yeah. your first child, between your first child oh, and yeah. your second child. That's awesome. Hmm. Uh, my second quote is uh, Arturo Toscanini. And I just wanted to touch on this because I think it's fascinating and how you make decisions as a, as a writer and who you're trying to please and who's your, who's your audience. And he said, um, if you want to please the critics, don't, don't play too loud, too soft, too fast, or too slow. <laughs> Which, I milk, love that. Milk right? toast. You know? <laughs> right? Yeah, it's, it's just uh, uh, probably sage advice. Um, Doesn't get you great music, though. No, I, I don't think so. <laughs> right. I, I think ultimately as a composer, you're, you're writing to uh, uh, please yourself. Okay. You know, you've, you've set standards and, and hopes and so on, and are you meeting them? Does it feel like it's honest work? Does it have as much integrity as you can put into it and, and, and so on? Um, it, it took until my 30s before I finally <clears throat> pardon me, started writing music that I felt was my own. Up until that point, I think I was writing music that uh, people expected me to write. 
yeah. uh, uh, completing assignments, getting uh, uh, noticed in the praise of teachers and all that bit as you're, you're growing up. And it was in the, the early 30s, I wrote a piece called The Soaring Hawk, which uh, won a, a national prize. And that was this, this moment where I realized that work had more of me in it than me trying to be somebody else as mm-hmm. a composer. And it was accepted. And it was just a shot in the arm. And so now I'm, I, I took off in a, a sort of a new direction with what I was creating. And you get to do that for your students, too. Teach them and give them the feedback that they need to be able to uh, speak from their own heart when they write. Yeah, you know, teaching <clears throat> composition is really an interesting thing. Dwayne Wee in town here. I love him. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, he, he, mm-hmm. I sat with him. Before I was even a, a, a prof here, I was working a summer camp here. I used to teach up at the University of Minnesota Duluth. And we were having lunch together, and he said, how do you teach composition? And we just had this wonderful talk about that. And he, he said, how do you know, you know, if you don't understand the music that this young person is bringing, how do you know they're not the next Mozart and you just don't get it? Right. Oh, and, that's and a I great thought, question. Oh, Dwayne. <laughs> yeah. It was just so much fun to think about that. And so in my composition class and, and, and lessons, private lessons with the young composers, it's more of a, uh, looking at the material that they're bringing in and helping them see the potential to do uh, something different with it. Have you thought about doing this here? Right. You're setting me up to expect this right now, but you're not giving it to me yet. What, what are you going to give me? This feels really great right here. Why are you leaving it so soon? Can't we stay here longer? Nice. You know, yes. and, 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 and these are the questions that just sort of, it's not, it pushes them. I'm not trying to tell them that they need to have a, a, a G major chord there or that this should be a B flat. Right. You're, su- you're just boring. suggesting what to think about. <laughs> yeah, they'll, they'll get it figured out. Right. That's wonderful. I just, yeah, I think about, it seems like to be a composition teacher, you almost have to have a lot of experience in composing things yourself and really in order to help somebody else. We're teaching Mm -hmm. other things. You know, you might know theory and you you learned it when you went to university to be a teacher. You could teach that. But composition, it feels like you just have to have a lot of experience to be good at teaching. Yeah, I I try to share with them the... the, problems and concerns and hassles that I'm having in my own writing. Mm-hmm. You know, I, this, this, I, I used to run into this problem until I started doing something else, for example. You know, that, that kind of advice pops in every once in a while as well. Awesome. They're all, all these students are smarter than I am. <laughs> such, That's a great attitude by, to by have, by I doubt it, but it's bow, a great... <laughs> oh, they are. They are brilliant young men and women, you know, and, and it's, it's a get out of their way, you know. I love that. Yeah. I love that. It's just you're more of a mentor than a teacher, Mm -hmm. maybe, perhaps you'd say. Um, Well, let's turn to the second piece here, Fantasia and G, that you wrote this as well. Um, Oh, this is so such a fun song. It's so (laughs) much fun to listen to. Uh, But why don't you tell me the inception or the kind of story behind writing this song? Well, this one started as a piece for pipe organ or organ. It wasn't a pipe organ. It was an electric device in our faith lutheran church down in lacrosse wisconsin <laughs> my brother got married and he wanted some music to uh, get him out of the church you know and so this was written for my brother todd and his wife deb and they they recessed with this piece and then uh my predecessor here miles johnson uh invited me to uh uh, take the band during the interim of january 1983 while i was still a, a 
doing my master's work down at the University of Iowa. And I thought, well, this is the chance. I, I'm going to score this out for band. Percy Granger, a, a great composer, used to write band music on the pipe organ because when you press the key down, it keeps coming. If you do it on the piano, it dies away instantly. Right. The pipe organ, it would sustain. And I, you know, I had heard that, and I thought, you know, this has always sort of been a band piece in my head. So I scored it out, and we premiered it up in Bow Chapel in January of 1983. And uh, I shared the concert with Joanne Polly. She was the other conductor at the time. And that was that was the the taste I really got to have of you know working with the Saint Olaf Band. Mighty Johnson let me conduct my senior year. Wow, that's on great. tour as well. I did the Waltz of the Flowers and the All Tchaikovsky Second Half. And, uh, <laughs> I, these, these are the kinds of uh, uh, opportunities that he created for me, and and my my high school band director created for me as well. Why right. don't you arrange this? Why don't you uh, write the drill for the marching band show? You know, all of these uh, opportunities. Uh, meant the world to me in my own development and that's one of the things i've been trying to do uh as a, a teacher myself is to uh, spread it around make sure we have a lot of fun that way i gotta believe that part of that is just your musicianship um it, it's also your personality that you probably are very very fun to work with and i've heard that about you anyway well, so <laughs> i like to have a good time that's good that's yep. really good um just briefly i want to take a side bar here to a ask about your getting hired at St. Olaf and how that, I mean, you had these opportunities to show mm -hmm. what you could do while you were still a student there. Yep. How many years was it before you came back and as a uh, professor? I, I had three years of high school teaching, two years of grad work, and 10 years at the University of Minnesota Duluth. And so I came down here, I think I was 37 years old or something like that. And uh, I didn't apply right away when it was open because I knew they needed to find the right person, and I didn't think that was me. Oh, see, you're humble too. Is this well, I don't. <laughs> I don't mean to <laughs> do this. I guess <laughs> you know. It took me a while to finally get brave enough to even put my papers uh. in, and uh, then it worked out. And I'm I'm really glad it did. It's just been an incredible place to grow and to uh, make music together and to raise a family in Northfield. Here. Yes. Yeah, it's been it's been wonderful. Well, they've been very lucky to have you. I think that everybody that knows you feels that way. So um, let's see. We'll move on to uh, Fantasia and G. Uh, this is Dr. Timothy Marr is live in the KYMN studio with me today, and it's time to listen to Fantasia and G, a piece he wrote and conducted in Japan mm -hmm. with the Senjoku Gakuen College of Music Freshman Wind Ensemble. Yes. Awesome.
This is Musician Talk, and I'm your host, Pauline Jennings. My guest today is Dr. Timothy Marr. We just played his original piece called Fantasia in G. This recording is of Dr. Marr conducting the, oh, I'm not going to get it right this time, Senjoku Gakuen College of Music Freshman Wind Ensemble. So tell me about that experience, working with that group and, and going over to Japan and all that. Yes, I was very fortunate to be asked to uh, go spend a week at this institution two years in a row. And uh, I can't yeah, hear yeah, we're not getting it through our headphones here. Okay. So go ahead. Very good. And uh, uh, it's uh, the Sensoku Gakuen College of Music is. Uh, similar to uh, Curtis or Juilliard or Eastman in our country here, one of the major conservatories. And this is just the the collection of uh, 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 serious musicians that are at the freshman level. Wow. You know, and, uh, but they're so thoroughly prepared. They take uh, music making over there very seriously. The concert band movement in particular is quite strong. The St. Olaf Band was there back in 2010 on our uh, study tour. We had Mac Gimsey and Pat Quaid as uh, people who came along with us and mm-hmm. helped us through understanding what Japan is all about culturally. And uh, at each performance, we had people lined up uh, outside for an hour ahead of time waiting to get in. Uh-huh. Everything was standing room only. Students were getting uh, requests for autographs and, and so on. The, the, they really love concert band music and, and take it super seriously over there. And so I, I go over there to guest conduct, and uh, uh, they've already prepared the program, and it's like note perfect. Uh, you know, I, oh. I I just add nuances and help shape it a little bit, and have fun trying to uh, speak a little bit of Japanese, <laughs> which is very minimal, and uh, uh, having an interpreter help me in the rehearsal process, and it's just a. a, a, a I think uh, going to be a, a, a great trip once again. We're going to go there at the end of this academic year. Oh, how it's fabulous. my final year, and uh, uh, we were supposed to tour last year on our normal rotation, but the pandemic sort of uh, threw a wrench into those plans, and we're hopeful of going over this year now and uh, re-experiencing some of that joy that we had back in the 2010 tour. Oh, delightful. So how long do you go for? And what do you do uh, while you're there? I mean, do you have a lot of concerts? Yeah, Is it something it's, every it's, day? Or? It's it's not like a domestic tour. When we go on, we, we go to California for our domestic tour this year, and it's a concert every day, and that's that's typical. Uh, when we go uh, on the international tours, we understand that uh, there's more to the learning when you're abroad right. than than normal. And so I think we have five or six concerts over the course of about fourteen days. Oh, how lovely. So the students get a chance to go out and oh, experience the culture. And, yes. And, yeah, and, yes. yes. We've, we've had some wonderful experiences like that with a, a, a study tour to Japan, to uh, Australia, New Zealand, and also to Mexico, where the interim class was a class taken by everybody in the band, which hardly ever happens at St. Olaf, where you have first-year students and seniors in the same class. Sure. And 90 people in the class. Well. <laughs> you know? I mean, this is this, this odd thing. Uh, and, and a couple of professors would go along and, and help teach the class. And then we, we, we uh, have two weeks on, class, uh, on campus pardon me, in January with a morning and afternoon rehearsal and a morning and afternoon class. 
and we do that for two weeks. We hop on a plane. We land in the country we're going to, and everything that we've been studying comes alive in front of our eyes. Oh, that is just the concerts so are wonderful. like sort of secondary, sure. you know, and, and and yet they're fantastic. I mean, we're we're ready to go, and we're playing in good halls, and uh, it's just a, a, a learning experience that changes lives. No kidding, no yeah. kidding. My semester abroad at the U of M was nothing like that. It was more about just partying, I guess, or something <laughs> like that. But that sounds like such great experiences for those students and mm-hmm. to have that time to prepare for that. Yeah. Uh, that sounds wonderful. So, Tim, we've gotten to the portion of, show called, of my show called uh, Best Gig, Worst Gig. So what do you got for us? Well, the best gig, um, it, it's hard to beat walking on stage at Carnegie Hall. Oh, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll just I say bet. that. You know, it was a dream when I... Uh, took over the position here to see if I could get the band to Carnegie Hall. And we were able to do that for the 125th anniversary of the band back in 2016. And to just uh, uh, know that that was happening in my life, let alone for all the students on stage and everything, it was surreal and it was uh, relaxed and comfortable. Yeah, we all sort of, when we first walked in there and you get, your dress rehearsal and you look around and it's like oh my god what's going on here right, you know right and then then you settle down because you you got to get to work right you know and, and that takes over and the audience was over a thousand people and they all seemed to be there because they really liked the saint olaf band you know and, oh, neat. and we we just had the a, a nice warm beautiful concert it, it worked really well we premiered a, a piece by David Maslanka, who is one of the major composers for Wind Band, and he wrote a piece entitled Angel of Mercy for us. And to be able to, you know, premiere a work, uh, Martin Hodel, our trumpet pro- mm-hmm. professor, soloed on a piece with us. We just had a, a great concert. And I, I just remember walking out on that stage thinking, it's not really going to ever get any better than this. You know? Wow. But, oh, it, but it does, exciting. because we've had fantastic uh, 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 concert experiences in little towns uh, in uh, Montana, for example, on tour, where they give you the key to the city, you know, because mm. we're the biggest live thing they've had there in the last 25 years, sure. you know, and, that, and, and, and that's just fun, yeah. too, and musically reward, rewarding, because when you're in the middle of the piece, that's what's taking over your entire life at that moment right the audience is on that journey with you and you're as focused and alive as you possibly can be right so it's like before and after you realize you're at carnegie hall but when you're place playing the music it doesn't matter where you are yeah because you're in that moment that's beautiful the the other uh, best one that comes to mind i wrote a, a, a work entitled imagining peace Mm. And it was for the Minnesota Symphonic Winds. This is the adult group that I conduct up in the Twin Cities. And uh, uh, it was for a a Peace and Justice Forum uh, concert uh, that was at Central Lutheran Church. And I I found uh, quotes from all cultures, all time periods that dealt with peace, justice, freedom, Put, put it together in a, a, a format that's about a 15-minute piece for narrators and band and uh, had a great experience premiering it there. We took it on a tour with the St. Olaf Band out to California uh, back in 2020. And uh, it's the piece where I feel 
maybe this is why I'm on the earth. Wow. You oh, know, because it, wow. it's, a, I think, an effective way of sharing really important words from brilliant people talking about how we can be better. Where, where could I find this to listen to? Uh, you can find it on YouTube. Okay. Yeah, and, and Imagining Peace. Imagining Peace. Mm-hmm. Oh, I want to hear that. That sounds absolutely lovely. Wow. So, worst gig? <laughs> well, yeah, you know, uh, I tripped and broke my thumb about a week before going on tour back in 2007. And it was my left hand, fortunately. I hold the baton with my right hand. And they put a cast on. It was a stupid home accident. I tripped over something. And I, th- oh, hey, I think I broke a bone, you know. It takes a that second. That kind of thing. And, and uh, <clears throat> the, the first cast that was put on me, I couldn't pinch my index finger and my thumb together to pick up a page and turn the page of a score. Oh, no. And I thought, i got to memorize my entire program in a week. Oh, gosh. So, so I went back to the doctor, and I said, I, 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 I need to be able to do this. And they said, well, you might not heal as well. And I, I don't care. i got to turn the <laughs> score pages. You know? i got a concert. i got a gig. And, and I, I had to make it black. Nice. So it would stick out from my tuxedo coat, and it would just look like one arm was longer than the other. <laughs> But uh, what I didn't anticipate was uh, trying to get my shirt on, <laughs> dressing out for the first concert, and I couldn't get the cast through the shirt without just, like, jamming it through the sleeve. <laughs> just all sorts of crazy stuff like that with that concert. Oh, I had another funny. tour where I had I needed to have a root canal right in the middle of the tour. Yeah, I, it was out, <laughs> out in uh, uh, Washington oh, State, Oregon, no. that n- northwest area, and going up in the flight and coming back down, the change in pressure just sort of finally popped the tooth or whatever right. happened, you know. And uh, the first couple of performances were excruciating. I couldn't concentrate. Yeah, oh no, it's and, hard to and, be in the and moment. And fin- finally they, they, they uh, uh, called a dentist and like, Eugene, Oregon, or something like this, and I went in early morning before the band had to leave, and I and I had a. Uh, uh, they checked and they said, "Yeah, you need a root canal." And so they called Salem, Oregon, and they got me a, 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 a appointment. The band went and set up and, and rehearsed on their own, oh and I goodness. sat and had a root canal. <laughs> and then I had such a, a that was, it's a memorable performance for me because there was no pain anymore right and i was just so free yeah plus they probably gave me some medication i don't remember <laughs> you know but it was, it was that too it was just a, a delight to not have that pain happening anymore so oh isn't that the truth when you're when you live with pain and then you get away from that pain it's like oh i see now i yeah. remember yeah. now i remember how it feels to feel normal well, damn it, this has just been a delightful and wonderful conversation, and I've learned a lot about you and, and had some laughs and got some in, great insights. So I just want to thank you so much oh, thank you. for coming. And, uh, and you, have some, you have this tour over in Japan coming up. When, when is your spring concert? Is that the, or No, we have winter here first. I'd like to well, ignore actually, that fact. Actually, <laughs> we're still in September. Um, <laughs> oh, wait, fall first. Yeah. And so, I just want to go to next summer. 
<laughs> That's all. I we have we have do. a concert on Saturday night. Oh, uh, on October first. I should have known. Uh, that. In I'm the sorry. evening, up on campus, and it's uh, sort of the family weekend homecoming concert. Right, right. I right. have uh, six former students who are now out teaching, coming back to guest conduct. Aww. They're all doing one movement of a six movement divertimento. They're all going to sit up on stage and hop up one at a time on the box, and I don't. We'll have to choreograph this thing, but. And then I have a, a, another uh, former student coming back to solo. And so, oh, that's wonderful. Well, it's my, it's my last homecoming concert. And so exactly. I, I wanted to, for the six conductors, I wanted them to have a chance to get up in front of that band. I've, I've, I've had a whole bunch of former students have that opportunity. It's like uh, uh, you have the keys to a really great car and you say, here, take it around the block. You know? Yes. And, and they, they get to, you know, be with the St. Olaf band. It's just. <laughs> it's well, really pro- fun to watch them doing that. And you're providing the opportunities opportunities that were once afforded you, which is just mm-hmm. really great. And uh, so that's October 1st at? Yep. Uh, 8, 8 p.m., I believe, is uh, in Skogland. At Skogland. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's what I wanted to know. So I'm hoping I can make that one. I would love love to the other, see The other that. big one uh, that I'd love to plug on the radio right Please now do. is May 5th. Uh, uh, next spring, and it's up at Orchestra Hall, and it's the big <sighs> final concert of my career. They did one oh. last year for Stephen Amundsen with the Saint Olaf Orchestra, That's and, right, and they're yeah. doing it again for me. And uh, it's on Cinco de Mayo, and so uh, we had a, uh, a tour to Mexico and uh, picked up some uh, repertoire down there that we uh, used after the fact uh, when we returned home here. Uh, piece uh, uh, Moncayo uh, is the composer. Pango is the title of the piece. And Wonderful. So I'm, I'm going to do a Mexican piece right on uh, Cinco de Mayo as part of the program. And, and all of our programming of late with uh, many uh, ensembles all around the nation it has such a, a stronger push to uh, support the and amplify the voices of uh, uh, composers who just haven't gotten a chance yet. Exactly. That's uh, great. BIPOC composers, female composers, and so on. And so the, the, it'll be a, a, all of my programming now has that in mind in an in intentional way. A couple of years ago, we did a program that was uh, six women composers. And I didn't plug it as anything other than the spring concert. As it should be. Exactly. As it should be. However, exactly. I have to say, and I'm just going to go ahead and do a plug, too, sure. because I'm, <laughs> I've directed a show that we have our last performance today at 2 o'clock, and it's all divas, so it's all women. And we, we make a big <laughs> deal out of that. Because it's a <clears throat> not only ten women, it's really some of the uh, strongest singers in the area, and it's really a great show. Audiences is a, a loved it. So okay, I'm done with that plug. So um, thank you so much for being on. I've loved this. It's been a great conversation, and uh, great to get to know you a little better. So likewise, take likewise. care. Thank you. <laughs> Many, many thanks to Dr. Marr for joining me today to share his journey with us and to give us some insight into his music. Thanks also to Wendy Nordquist, and so many thanks to you, the listeners of Musician Talk on the One, KYMN. Have a joyous day. 